Welcome to TapCap Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast that has a guest host once again. I am Corey, joined by Mr. Ilkin from Kings and Generals for another special episode. Ilkin, the illustrious uh, ignoramus. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry for being late, guys. I recently uh, had a kid, so now I can dedicate only like 50% of my time to Star Wars. Yeah, that's that's Justin's excuse as well. Eck is away still. Uh, hopefully in the near future, he will be back in the land of the living and we'll be able to continue on with our with our normally scheduled programming, maybe with some guests still, who knows. But this week and next week, Ilkin and I are going to be talking about the High Republic Phase 2, the adult novels. Not adult novels, but like adult novels from that phase. So this week we're talking about Convergence. Next week, because we're crazy and we want to read all thousand pages while also working on other stuff uh we're going to be talking about cataclysm so these two happy little books right here so this week next week so we're uh, we're only a couple months behind on these actually because these came out in april or may uh but did they came out at the same time i think the well i think the first one came out in april and then it must be relatively soon after that that the other one came out it might be i might have those backwards but or not so backwards no, but... november 20 uh was it november two? yeah holy shit okay so yeah you are you are wrong. what does time uh, even mean you are losing again yeah Corey. oh well well really the rise of the red blade came out two days ago so we should really have been talking about that instead but then you would have had to get it like two days ago and it would have been it would have been a whole thing where you have to rush read the book because you read this well in advance. You were done a while ago. So, right? We're, you're ready? Yes, like two hours ago. That's yeah. true. Listen, uh, you can make fun of me, but at least uh, I can read. And Ek can't read, so uh, you're stuck with me for now. Yes, well, so this week, next week, High Republic Phase 2. Week after that, I'm going to be gone, but then the week after that, we'll be back for something that I haven't decided yet. I have some ideas, though. Yeah, so any Star Wars news that has come out in the last uh, last week, or I guess you weren't here since the Ahsoka trailer came out. We had Zach on last week. So is there any thoughts you had on the Ahsoka trailer that you wanted to share with the world? Ahsoka trailers. I really liked it. Uh, but I have a feeling that they might play it a bit safe in some aspects. Like, uh, I expect them not to push the story on the Mandalorian side much. So the first season of Ahsoka, I expect to be a bit uh, more self-contained in terms of characters. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe the second season will start getting more uh, interconnected stuff. I don't know and that I, much has I, to happen. I, I, I guess I should rephrase that. I understand that uh, in terms of Larger Star Wars, it's more connected because it will have uh, Rebels characters, it will have Mon Mothma, it will have etc. etc. But uh, in terms of connection to the previous uh, TV shows, uh, Boba Fett and Mandalorian, it will be a bit more self-contained. Yeah, like I think the the Thrawn stuff is probably where most of those connections are going to come from, and that's presumably more for the movie. So I do think that Ahsoka is going to be more about like Ahsoka and then Balin. Uh, and any Mandalorian stuff is just going to be Sabine, who may or may not be Force-sensitive, who knows. But Do you think they will try to kill off Balin? 
I think Balin doesn't survive the season, and that's convenient for real life reasons. Real if he life. ever is going to be like that, it it just feels like he's the big bad for the season, and then he's out of the way, and like Shin gets redeemed or something, or Shin becomes the big bad later on. But because they're only doing the one season of Ahsoka, as far as we know. So they they probably developed it as like a, a self-contained situation, or even if they do something else down the line, they probably planned it to have a self-contained story as far as at least one villain goes, or at least one storyline goes. So I don't think it's going to be a Moff Gideon situation where like Balin is the the enemy of Ahsoka for now and forever until he dies in an explosion. Oh, I think he might die in an explosion, but yeah. Well, an explosion that's not in Ahsoka season one. Uh, do you agree that uh, he is similar to yours, Yoros Kabot character? Yeah, yeah, Joris Abayoth. Yeah, yeah I, I think he's Abayoth. he's kind of the newer one there, but like not a clone. And I, I guess since he's not here to speak for himself, Justin is theorizing that he was part of yeah. some outbound flight similar project, and that's how he was away from the Jedi Order. Still got the megalomania of the original Jorah Sabayoth, which wasn't unique to the clone either. So I, I don't think that's a bad theory. I think uh, I Justin... liked how they called him uh, Jedi supremacist, right? Uh, yeah. I think it's very apt. Again, I don't know if Balin will be a similar character in this regard. Yeah, he seems like he like he calls. Anakin, Anakin still. And all he had to say about Anakin that we've seen so far is that Anakin's powerful. So he's he's not got his priorities straight, I think is the best we can say about him. I just hope that uh, like him knowing Anakin is not connected to like time travel or something like that. I don't think time travel is really... I, I, I just hope that the entire... What's, what's the name of the place? Uh, Worlds. Yes. I hope that it doesn't come up much it's, or, it's or gonna come at all. Gonna come up. Okay, because of uh, Ezra. Well, it was just so central to the end parts of Rebels, and it, it seems like when you're doing Force mysticism stuff in this show, it's probably gonna connect there somehow. I haven't watched like the very last episode of Rebels for some time. Uh, the when they are in the world between worlds, uh, who else knows about it? I think Ahsoka knows about it. Uh, like who's been in it or who knows about it? Who knows about it? Everyone seems to know about it. Like, Palpatine is trying to get in there. He's got his agents that are, like, seeking it out for him. Uh, all the Rebels crew are there trying to, like, keep Palpatine's people out. So, so it's, it's... a situation where only Ahsoka knows about it. Okay. Uh, so then it will come <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. Like, Ahsoka and Ezra have been in it, and they're the only ones who've, who have really been in it. But it doesn't seem like it's a huge secret that it exists. It just seems like such a big thing uh, that no one using it afterwards seems like a, uh, I well, don't know. It had been like less common knowledge, but it was also no. So as far as force users go, it's not like it's a thing that seemed to be uh, like general common Jedi knowledge. But as far as the plot in Rebels goes... Everyone in Rebels that was involved in anything major ended up knowing about it. So it may be like a secret to just that community, but it's not it's not like a secret to just Ezra and Ahsoka. Okay, then it will come out up and I kinda hate it, but hopefully they will be able to uh focus on other stuff. Well, 
I so, think with the world between worlds in Rebels, there were some pretty clear limitations on what you could do with it or what they were willing to do with it. So if it does come up and it's used for just wacky stuff all over the place, that's going to be more explicitly a bad thing to do. Kind of like what it was used for in Rebels, where like Ezra wanted to use it to save Kanan, and Ahsoka's like, no, you can't do that. We got to go. If Kanan doesn't die there, you do. Okay. Anyways, I don't want to turn this into like Ahsoka show. Yeah. Uh, you guys will probably discuss it ad nausea when it comes out. Only a month away. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I wonder how that will uh, affect the Star Wars algorithm on YouTube. Yeah, I'm do you think you guys will start getting more views? Uh, yeah, I think it'll probably be back to the the same situation as uh, when Bad Batch and Mando were on. Possibly an even bigger deal than Mando. Like, I think it'll be more of like a Kenobi situation where it was like, or a Book of Boba Fett where it was like the start of something new, standalone, and like that that was a a really popular time for Star Wars YouTube. And I just missed it with uh, some of the clip stuff. So uh, I'm hoping for better things. But uh, what else happened this past week? I think something that will affect Star Wars, uh, both TV shows and movies, the uh, Hollywood writer's strike and actor's mm -hmm. strike. Uh, obviously, like it probably is not a surprise to anyone that we are pro-strike, right? Yes. Uh, but uh, in terms of Star Wars, I assume that it might push stuff even further in the future. Yeah, so we, we kind of talked about this before of like uh, with just the prior strike when it was starting or like the current, but like the first one started. Of, right, just, right. Yeah, of what would get impacted. And it's going to be a while before we really see anything that's impacted by it, but it will definitely cause a gap. And they might push back certain shows as a result to like space it out a bit more. Because there are a few things that are either completely done filming, completely done production entirely, that are going to be releasing over the next year and a half that I wouldn't expect to see them push back too much. Uh, but anything after that, like Mando Season 4 kind of situation, that would be a lot... Uh, a lot more likely to get impacted. Uh, for instance, Ray movie, we probably will uh, not see it. Uh, I think they were planning for 2025, yeah. right? Yeah, the, the tentative release dates we saw for those movies are probably not going to get hit with anything that's going on right now. And another news is uh, the decimal numbers that uh, Indiana Jones got. And I don't know how dismal those numbers actually were. They are very dismal. Like I haven't paid that much attention to it. So basically, the movie's budget is at least three hundred million. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The the comparison between like budget and movie performance, like this stuff, can just scale infinitely. Is the problem I have with it. Well, yes. Uh, it's uh, basically one of ten to uh, top ten most expensive movies ever. Yeah. Uh, not even accounting for like marketing and stuff. Yeah. And by this point, I think it made like three hundred million, and it should make like. Seven to eight hundred million to be able to uh, be in the black, yeah, and it's not getting there at all. It will not get even to maybe five hundred. Maybe it will stop around four hundred, something like that. And uh, obviously, our dear overload uh, Bob Iger uh, said something to 
the tune of that we are making too many Marvel and Star Wars stuff. Okay, so yeah, that article didn't actually... So I think part of that was getting conflated, where he was talking about Marvel shows and movies oversaturating, and he also mentioned stuff about Star Wars content in the article, but yeah, I think that I got conflated it. into being about Marvel and Star Wars stuff being made too much, which I don't think is what the text of the article actually says. And it was more the headlines that were conflating that. So, cause like there hasn't been a star Wars movie at all. So it wasn't talking about that clearly. And the shows have been less common than Marvel ones. So I don't think it like rules out the possibility that he's talking about scaling some of that back. Yes, but I don't think it's what he was saying. Exactly. And uh, it being the other Lucas product. I just feel like uh, there might be some consternations there, but again, we'll see how, we'll see how it works out. Yeah. I think the biggest think... thing is like overflowing budgets. Yeah. More so than yeah. like what the actual popularity of the properties are. So we'll see though. Yeah, but it's like a uh, answer, it's right? Uh, the uh, Lord of the Rings shows comes out with 1 billion budget. Yeah, and then you are uh, you can't exactly make a let's say uh, you cast Leia, uh, Han, and uh, Luke. You can't exactly make a cheap show, right? Right. You should make something like huge from that. So that's that's basically what I'm thinking. That with uh, the f uh, with the uh, failure that was uh, uh, Indiana Jones in, ter in terms of uh, finances. Star Wars might get some problems, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it doesn't seem like any of the projects for Star Wars that have come out have been viewed that way by them yet. So I just it might just be an Indiana Jones specific issue where the popularity of that franchise is a bit more niche. But we'll see. Yeah, I can see that. The real problem uh, is that they they didn't have Shia LaBeouf in it. Obviously, people would have come for Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. But one thing you were correct on, like you are correct with most things, but uh, in this case, uh, the budgets are getting bigger. And I remember that the early, the first and the second, especially Indiana Jones movies, are very especially uh, like low budget. Like for what they were, uh, they were kind of low budget. And that was maybe part of the charm, I don't know. But uh, putting more money in basically didn't help, is my point. Yeah. Yeah, like the audience can only scale so much beyond production. And when people yeah. are watching these shows, they're judging, they don't know the context of budgets for the most part. They're judging like an episode of It's Always Sunny against an episode of Mandalorian. They're not really yeah, looking at it as a different thing. And like It's Always Sunny is basically just three guys with a camcorder, <laughs> like production value wise. But, uh, but yeah, so we should probably. Right. Get into our our good friends here at the High Republic. Yep. Uh, so can I get the meta stuff out of the way immediately? The meta stuff, sure. Yeah. So something that I was annoyed about uh, ever since I I heard the news. Uh, so the, news. the story goes back. Right. Like it's Should I maybe do the the plot overview yeah, before we? So uh, so convergence is basically about two planets in the same system that are. In what they call the Forever War. Think a little bit of uh, Romeo and Juliet for, for the plot overall, except they're less star-crossed lovers than uh, two of the heirs to these planets' monarchies 
that decide to work together alongside the Jedi to end the war between their people, despite the interference from people within each of their own camps and some external factors. So we'll go over each part by part uh, afterwards, but Ilkin, if you want to continue with your with your throwback complaint. I am annoyed because I'm always annoyed. And this time I, I'm annoyed about the fact that they basically wrote a prequel to a book series that's not so popular. Like, I enjoyed the first uh, phase of uh, High Republic. I did uh, all, of adult, all of the adult books and all of the uh, young adult books. And uh, in terms of, like, Star Wars books, they were probably not S-tire, but around A-tire for me. Uh, and uh, for me, it, it made sense to continue the story, but instead they decided to basically write prequels. And uh, I have this uh, bad feeling that they did that because they don't want to write something in the future that may somehow collide with Acolyte. I I don't think that's the the reason for it because like the Phase Three stuff is still going ahead at kind of the same pace. I think it's more just that they had other authors on board that they brought in for Phase Two. And rather than have a bigger gap between, like, just doing the same story, if they jump back with other authors, they can tell some of the backstory while the rest of it moves ahead. I, I still, I still would prefer if they moved ahead. Like the story of the old, of the High Republic is fun, but uh, they basically, they, I will discuss it. But basically, the prequel explains stuff uh, that is not super important. To me, at least, again, in terms of lore, it's very fun. Uh, it uh, creates, uh, it goes back 150 years yeah. from the first High Republic book, uh, which means that uh, we get more like holes filled in terms of the lore. But at the same time, it, it I have this problem with High Republic in general: too many characters and not enough uh, screen time for uh, the main ones. Yeah, like I. If even if we are getting a prequel, I would prefer the prequel focused on some of the main characters of the first phase. Yeah, but like we're getting it's not even that far away that phase three starts coming off, which is like following up directly on phase one. So November first is the release date for the first adult novel in that. I think it's the first adult novel. It's uh, George Mann's novel. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're getting the next stage in the story pretty quickly. Uh, and I, I think going back, uh, we we obviously haven't seen too much of it yet, but I think we're getting like the origins of the Nile. Uh, so I think that's interesting, seeing a bit more of the Republic forming into what it is in High Republic Phase 1. It's not like super long before. I don't like time jumps in general, but I'm more okay with time jumps back than forward. Because back, you kind of always already know what the form of the galaxy is, so you're just filling in gaps. Whereas jumping forward is where you run into like the legacy issues, where a lot of the stakes in uh, the so let's say that there had been novels between Crucible and the legacy comics, it would have felt like a lot of those stakes were kind of gone. Whereas that's almost unavoidable when you're going backwards. Like there's not really a different way you can do that other than write like an immediate prequel each time, which is less interesting. So I don't really have a problem with it. Like. I I thought I'd be less interested, but then once once I started actually reading the book, I got over it pretty quickly. No, the book is really good. That's the thing. The, the book on itself is really good. Yeah, 
Like, but the context uh, is a problem for me, like meta context. I, again, there were so many main characters in the right. first phase. And uh, kind of, I understand that they're so continued, etc. But introducing even newer characters, it's, it's a problem. Like, in terms of Star Wars, uh, like, most people who read Star Wars now, they probably have some connection to the old legends, right? I actually don't, know, don't think that's I true. Assume, I assume. I'm just as assuming right now. And if that's true, uh, legends were kind of built on uh, main characters, more or less. Mm -hmm. Like, there's maybe, like, five stories which doesn't have Luke in it. There's like maybe five stories that doesn't have hundred. Uh, so obviously they, they they were movie characters, so it was easier to build around them. Uh, but I would I would hope that High Republic would continue on this trend and would have been more character focused instead of lore focused. I don't know if that's a character way to put it. Yeah, like I definitely see where you're coming from. Like the there is a lot of name drops that happen yeah. very quickly in all the books, and there's definitely more than a few uh, perspective characters as well. Like one of the things in this book is that I felt like the uh, so the the two heirs in the story are Fantu and Siri. I think Ziri Siri. I'm gonna Siri. call her Siri. Siri. But uh, so Siri is like she gets a lot of the focus in the early parts of the book, but then after about the midpoint, you get maybe one or two perspective sections from her to the point that I was starting to think like, Oh, is that, is she going to like betray them in some way? And maybe that was intentional. Uh, but I did feel like her character suffered a bit from it because you had Enya, you had Fantu, you had, uh, Axel, Axel, you had, uh, basically everyone getting some kind of perspective chapter. And that was one of the things, like, going between uh, Light of the Jedi and the Rising Storm and then Fallen Star was like, okay, I need to remember who these 60 people were, which could sometimes be difficult. So it, it can be easy to lose context for some of them when there's just so much going on. That's true. I agree with that. And, uh, like, if you talk about... What's that? Ziri, right? Her name. Yeah. So... Uh, like in terms of future content, in terms in terms of future books, she's a queen of a small planet and a back, uh, basically, uh, backwards planet. With we, we will probably not see her again. You know, we might see her in the next story because of the events of this one, but in terms of global importance, in terms of, in terms of galactic importance, she will not be important. So, despite the fact that I like her as a character, I feel like uh, we will probably not get much time with her down the line too. I kind of like that for this because we're getting some context for what's going on with the Jedi and almost using the planet as a case study for what the state of the galaxy is. Because like you're getting the, the Chancellor's there and we're kind of using it to show what their different priorities are. So you're getting you're not setting up uh, Arona and Irem, which are the two planets in the system as like these pinnacles of galactic importance, the way that the Starlight Beacon was, but I feel like you're setting up enough that you can still tell other stories in this period, and you're not locking yourself into too much with it, because it, it is a, I think it, like, the, the weakness is that there are so many characters in the period that you need to be able to keep track of, but 
But I think the strength is that the, the book does handle the characters really well. So I enjoyed the characters. The book is very good. Like, it's maybe a tire for me. Uh, the only thing that annoyed me from the get-go was the fact that uh, two plants have the uh, name of the plant starts with the same letter. Well, that's... Uh, it is where Starlight Beacon is, eventually. So, if, like, they're not going to be... Like, I don't think we're going to get too much with that, with the individual characters outside of Phase 2, but they're kind of... 150 years too early for that. Yeah, that's true. Well, they mentioned Yoda, but uh, <laughs> apparently we are not allowed to see him in the adult books. Yeah, he's always off doing something. Yeah. Did the... I didn't do the other two... I didn't do the other two uh, young adult novels or any of the comics. Does Yoda show up directly in any of them? Uh, in the first phase, yes. In this, I'm not sure. I haven't... I haven't read anything yet because I don't have time. Well, but I, I assume that Yoda is off doing something, you know. Yeah, he's... which is not a which is not a problem. I I I understand that they try they're trying not to overwhelm the entire like uh, high republic with Yoda because if Yoda is there, he should be doing stuff. Yeah. Like, he's going to be really um, powerful, and then, like, why is Yoda... One of the things with having the original trilogy characters always be there is that, like, everyone around them ends up having to be either incompetent or just suck. And it's really easy to get the to get the characters wrong. Like, the book we read last week, me and Zach, is, a pers like, a first-person perspective book for Luke, and one of the biggest weaknesses of it was that the author wasn't fantastic at writing yeah. Luke. And I don't like. I feel like the strength with these is not bad, but like Luke, he wasn't written like in a good way. I think. Yeah. Like so yeah, that that I do agree with. I feel like uh, Zreta Kodova would have probably handled Luke better because of just how yeah. strong she is with the characters in this book. But I I still think you you can more easily run into that. I kind of like having a wider array of characters that are able to do these different things. But that's just me. No, I, I like characters who can do whatever. And uh, in this case, like, I remember when we talked about the last book and I said something along the lines of, like, there's, like, two types, three types of Jedi and that's it. Yeah. Uh, in High Republic, we get much more archetypes, I guess, like, mm -hmm. in terms of character. We, we get uh, more features, we get uh, more um, characterization for the Jedi. Especially uh, in like Yuzhan Vong War period and beyond that, there's like two types of Jedi. Yeah, there's uh, the, the asshole ones... Jedi who side with Luke, who are basically yes. just Sith, and then there's yeah. the, the good guy Jedi who. Yeah, so basically the ones who side with the uh, Republican authorities, whoever they are, and the ones who side with Force, or whatever they say at that point. Yeah. And in that term, High Republic is way better, like much better in handling. Characters and Jedi in particular. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Do you want to give like a, a summary of the story? Yeah, we'll start going through part by part now, I think. I kind of did a, a very broad overview. But the, the book opens up in basically a battle in the war there. Uh, so we open up with the princess from Arono, uh, Siri. And she is trying to... Uh, I think they're trying to get in a shipment of water 
because their planet is basically so Arono is like dry desert. I don't know why anyone wants to live there kind of situation because they don't seem to have any resources left and their monarch is just an asshole. And then the other planet, Irem, has a bunch of water, but no desert. And I guess that's what they're lacking. So they don't have many ships, but they have uh, uh I think the other water. planet doesn't have like uh metal and stuff like yeah, that. They they put it up as like metal versus water resources. Yeah. And I, I I think they probably just haven't looked hard enough for the metal, to be honest. There's usually metal somewhere, but maybe they've strip mined everything. Uh but yeah, so there's uh the path of the open hand is kind of like Nile Forerunners from phase one and i actually think that you are kind of running ahead like at the start especially in this book like i look ahead in the second book and yes but in the in this book it's more about um uh, at least what they profess yeah but the mother has the gaze electric yes so in that's, that's... the chaos the pad like they're if i'm giving context for who they are we don't know it yet well, they are saying that they the are against using the force. They are not yeah. saying that they are against. Uh, they're trying to Jedi. fuck with the Jedi being yeah. claimed. They so they're they're saying that the Jedi claim to be the people who decide what goes on with the force. The Jedi would say, "No, we're not doing that." But the path of the open hand is trying to. And in, in terms of like uh, their tactics, they're way more subtle than the Nile. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's more of a a cult in the galaxy at this point rather yeah. than a bunch of marauders flying around so they're not like an open raiding group but they're the the seeds of the nile are in there but they want to disrupt uh everything going on with the jedi on this system and stop any peace in the system for reasons and uh so they cause a bit of an international incident there's been a uh a in, well there's only in one galaxy intergalactic maybe Intergalactic. Intergalactic would be two galaxies. We don't have Galactic Yeah. Don't shame me because I don't know anything. Go ahead. <laughs> but the uh, there's a ceasefire that's existed for like three days between the two planets, and uh, so when they're escorting in this water shipment, there's uh, like some some jamming going on and some hijacking of one of the fighters. Fighter starts to crash into Irem. Chief of or Chancellor Malo's ship comes in and nearly collides with stuff for some reason, and then the the princess from Arono ends up trying to save the pilot that is crashing into Irem, and she crashes into the ocean. She gets saved by Fantu, the heir from the other planet, and this leads to uh, more anger from the monarch of Arono, thinking that she's been kidnapped when really she would have been free to go. So now everyone needs to try to stop a reignition of the forever war between these two planets, which has really only been about 20 years. So they're really overstating how bad the, the forever war could be. Yeah. So what they did you do. think of the initial introduction to some of these characters? Because we do get a lot thrown at us. We have Abda, I think is her name, from the Path of the Open Hand. Then we have Stella, uh -huh. and we have Ziri, all in this little section that we get. So basically, the initial incident happens because uh, the Chancellor's ship and the Jedi uh, vessel end up in the same uh, coordinates uh, yeah. on the exit from the hyperspace, which is very interesting to me. 
And uh, as you said, uh, the author kind of leaves breadcrumbs all over the place in terms of who done it. And initially, I I had this feeling that uh, there are two chancellors of the Republic, and I felt that uh, one of them, the Molot, Moloch, Molo, Molo, he's working against uh, the um, Greylark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yangu, Kongu. Yeah. Younger. Yeah, but that's not true, basically. Uh, there's no, uh, like, uh, real... Um, there are some ideological differences between two chancellors, but uh, the Molo is not trying to actively, like, destroy the other chancellor. Still, it's uh, it's a really interesting um, coincidence that two vessels end in the same place. Basically, three vessels, right? The ice holder too. Well, that's the yeah, that's the 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 water rations or ice that are yeah. coming in. The Jedi are coming in, and Molo comes so, uh, in. I assume that uh, we will continue talking about uh, hyperspace lanes in High Republic books, uh, like we talked in the first phase. They will remain very important to the story. Yeah, because we're we're out in we're out near Bespin. Like we're we're pretty far out in the outer rim rim outer rim. And uh, so, yeah, hyperspace tech isn't quite as good as it will be in the the prequel times, even. And uh, yeah, so it's not it's not shocking to anyone that uh, this could happen, but it's not clear to them why it has. So I there there are a bunch of places where this book goes like close to cliches with all of this, with like the overall plot. You think you're getting like your Romeo and Juliet story kind of situation. You think you're getting like a bunch of the high fantasy tropes, but it, it subverts them in just enough ways yeah. and fleshes them out in just enough ways that it's not like it, it manages to elevate itself above what you might expect just from a summary of what's going on. So at some point, despite the fact that the monarch of uh I'll never remember the name of his planet. Erono, uh, despite the fact that he thinks that uh, his daughter is kidnapped, uh, in reality his daughter uh, is a guest of the Queen of Iram. And uh, that kicks off uh, the uh, peace negotiations had by the, by the Chancellor and by the Jedi. And that's where we learn that the uh, Minister of Irono is uh, for the continuation of the war. And yeah. he becomes one of these uh, breadcrumbs uh, for us to think that uh, whatever is happening is happening because uh, he is conspiring behind the scene. Yeah. And a lot of them are conspiring behind the scenes, but they're also conspiring behind the scenes for different reasons than yeah. what's like actually reason, the prime a, room mover here. It's a big bat, basically. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah, so there's, there's just enough people with like competing interests that it's not a clear, like, this is side A, this is side B, and then you're either on one or the other. There's enough, like, interplay between a lot of what's going on that, uh, that you can kind of theorize throughout the book of, like, what you think is happening, and it, it's still fun to do that. And I, I especially, so something that happens throughout the book a lot is that there will be set up for interpersonal conflict. And I'd kind of put this back to the book that Zach and I read last week with the, uh, 
where Leia is questioning the loyalty of uh, Natari, and then Luke is questioning the loyalty of Drusil, and then every like you kind of know as the reader that like this isn't going to go anywhere. It's probably never going to come up again, and it doesn't. So it was pointless to include it. Whereas in here, there were moments where it was like clear to the reader that someone who might be suspected of something is not actually responsible for it. And all we're going to be setting up for by saying maybe they are is... But internally, it, internally it makes sense. No, but I, no I, I'm kind of, I'm saying it goes against that because you get that setup where you like might go in thinking like, oh, we're about to get some pointless interpersonal drama that'll be resolved in like 30 pages of nonsense. But they just don't even go that direction. Where yeah, my my point is more like from the outside you may think that uh, this might be like uh, not going anywhere, right? But inside, like from the character's point of view, uh, what they are seeing, what they know, the information that they have, it's a much more interesting story. Basically, that's my point. Yeah, and like, I I'm probably wording this poorly, but like what I'm saying is that it doesn't go into the pointless drama that everyone go knows is going to resolve in a way because there's some like misunderstanding rather than like an actual disagreement or an actual reason to suspect something where like with with the prior book it was just like you're just throwing this stuff in to kind of add some level of intrigue that's unnecessary with this the they avoid having any unnecessary intrigue so that they can focus on the actual character conflicts, which I think works much better. Yes, the conflicts work really well. That's that I agree hundred percent. And like the, there's there's way less effort to hold the hands of the reader on uh what the character's thoughts or motivations might be, where usually in Star Wars books especially they try to be like very clear of like this person interprets this person's reaction this way. That means that person feels that way. Whereas in this, uh, there's around page 85, you have an interaction between Fantu and the queen, his mother, huh? and you're getting it from Fantu's perspective. And Fantu is uh, kind of interpreting his conversation with his mother one way. And we're seeing how he's reacting to his mother's reactions. And those reactions are used more to tell us about Fantu than they are to tell us about the mother. Because we're seeing how he's interpreting what she's saying. With still, the book is clear that, like, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. But the important thing here is this is how Fantu is feeling about it. Yeah. Uh, again, without kind of comparing with the uh, story you guys read previous week. But uh, he as a character are uh, more, sh I guess, per people are not like, uh, I don't know, story devices. Yeah. Uh, the thing I'm mostly trying to avoid directly saying is it was really nice to read this after the last two books uh, we yes. read. I'm kind of thankful that I read this one and not the one before. Uh, yeah. What was the name of that book? Insultum of uh, Luke? Something like yes. that? That's the one. Hairline of the Jedi. Yeah, thanks. So he has a story. Uh, the Jedi and uh, the Chancellor organize a negotiation summit, something like that, and uh, the two heirs of the planets, uh, Fantu and uh, Ziri, they decide that they will 
Mehdi in order to create long-lasting peace. Yeah, so there was basically legend. So the, the planets had been united before, and that had happened with a marriage between the two houses, or between the two planets. And so Siri decides that the best way to uh, to achieve peace is that she is going to propose marriage between her and Fantu, and then there would be nothing that anyone else in their families can say. They they won't be able to fight each other because there'll be co-monarchs over both planets, uh, like in their, their kind of golden age. And they do get some pushback from uh, from their families initially. Eventually they manage to win them over. But the, the monarch is kind of the the most unreasonable acting one in the first half of the book. One. The monarch from Orono. And yeah, yeah he's... He's like, I got big Denethor vibes from him. Like, I was just picturing Denethor the whole time. <laughs> His one son dies and etc, uh, etc. Et yeah. yeah. Ciri is basically Faramir. And if Faramir married Aragorn, I guess? I don't know. I don't know where the analogy I like quite style. comes from there. That's nice. But I, I don't know if Fantu is like really an Aragorn. More of a, he's more of a Sam. Uh, that's a good question. I'm currently uh, in the process of deciding which character I'm going to play in Baldur's Gate 3. Hmm. You're going to play a Sam? So, no, like everyone plays Aragorn, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to find some other angle. Uh, but that's not neither here nor there. Uh, back to the book. Uh, we decided that they're going to get married. And that's where we see the person called Axel Greylock for the first time. Yeah, that's when he Carl gets Carl. there. We've had a few chapters with him when he's right, there, like there. gambling around and being just a, a general little quirky guy in the rest of the galaxy. He's the, the son of Chancellor Greylark, and he's just, a career criminal. He's a fail son. Just say that. That's not a term that I'm familiar with. Really? Failson? That's like my most uh, popular name that I use for myself. So, <laughs> Failson. I love that. So, uh, that's when when uh, he arrives uh, to the system and he's a son of the Chancellor and he is sent here to help negotiate, which doesn't make sense to me. Because like we don't we don't even hear that he has great uh, diplomatic skills, but regardless, uh, he wants to get it done. Initially, if we look, it looks like he wants to get it done in order to get his inheritance back. But uh, at the same time, we learn that he has a chip on his shoulder and he hates the Jedi for some reason. Yeah, so he's basically sent by his mom to be her representative because Chancellor Marlowe's at these summits. She doesn't, Chancellor Greylark's not there, and Malo hadn't really checked in with Greylark before doing this, which is a big breach in protocol for them. They're co-chancellors, but they're supposed to, like, not try to outshine each other, and... Malo is uh, outside chancellor, and Greylark is inside chancellor. Yeah, That's... Malo is the, uh, the frontier minister, Greylark is the minister of the interior, basically. So they have yeah. this... The shared goal that we hear about, but for the for most of the initial part of the book, uh, you're getting 
a lot of conflict that they're kind of implying between the two. And like Greylark's upset that Malo went there without clearing it with her. So she sends Axel as kind of her eyes and ears to report back on what's going on. And uh, we do get the the kind of context that Axel is kind of living the life he is and he's upset at his mom uh, because of his dad's death. Uh, but he wants his inheritance, inheritance. And if he does this for his mom, she's going to say, okay, you can have your money and then you can screw off. But he does a lot of gambling until then. And he comes in in the middle of a murder investigation because there had been some some deaths on the on the summit grounds in the Paxian, mm -hmm. uh, which is the, the ship of Chetramalo. The story will go for the full whodunit. Yeah. But as you say, the, we, we get some subversion of it. Yeah. We still learn who done it, but uh, the story is not about it. That's yeah. my point. Like, my fear going into these chapters was that because of how, like, Sigaru was found, uh, who's, like, one of the chief commanders in the, the Arono army. he's found dead, it's really, like, one of these uh, Knives Out books, basically. Yeah. Uh, movies, sorry. Knives Out movies. So uh, he's found in a bedroom of another character. Yeah. Which means that there should be investigation, and we don't get in, an investigation. Instead, we get the story goes in its own direction, and at some point, we learn what happened. Yeah, like they're they're still like kind of in the background investigating. They get the wrong conclusion from it. But my fear with him being in Fantu's room was that the characters would be like it would be used as a way to set up conflict between Siri and Fantu, and that's like what I was talking about before. Where like the obvious thing for the story to do would be to set up some tension between the two because of this. And I would have found that really annoying because it was clear that Fantu didn't do this. So it'd just be like a waste of time trying to get through that for the characters. And the, the story just didn't do that. And I'm very happy the story didn't do yeah. that. That's correct. Uh, like when we were just starting the book, I had this um, worry that it will be a bit by the committee. You know how right. uh, I think in the second wave of the first phase we started feeling like too many people worked on this book mm -hmm. maybe not like writing it but in terms of like ad giving advices giving like uh directions etc in this one i think we get like a very clear voice of this author uh which is nice for star wars a good book a unique voice it's always nice yeah, like, I think with uh, with Ball and Star, just because there was so much that it was trying to wrap up for yeah. the phase, that you end up with like so many perspective characters wrapping up so many storylines from different people's work, that you end up with when someone creates uh, characters, they kind of chime in in uh, on what the character thinks yeah. and says, etc., etc. It, so it's it, a bit by committee. It's kind of an extension of the problem of like having to remember too many characters. In that you have to like now wrap up some of the stories of too many characters, and then you end up not knowing what happened to Buryaga, and we have to pretend that uh, Jonas Sutomo's character in the Acolyte isn't Buryaga, even though like clearly going to be Buryaga. They just couldn't the say that. Until... Live long, right? What? The Wookiees live long, right? They are one of the yeah. longest. Yeah, they live hundreds uh, of years. Yeah, okay, that's good. It could be him, and they could just be lying about it not being him. But I, I do think that's also, like, the benefit to this book is part of not being uh, tied in too much to a bunch of other major characters that you have to feel like, and new characters you have, 
have to have their storylines plus the established characters have to have a storyline and like here we're able to just kind of focus on our four principles and while you do get a few other perspective chapters it's not quite the same as if we had to have any new character we want to introduce but also like obi-wan and anakin storyline uh but from the from the summit the kids have agreed they're going to get married uh, we kind of knew that Fan 2 had a crush on Siri for the whole time. Uh, Siri has less clear feelings for Fan 2, where it's it's less clear to Fan 2, especially, of whether she's doing this yeah. just because she wants to uh, help her family, or, or rather help her planet, or if she's got any interest in him romantically beyond that. Uh, but they, they start planning their wedding, they go down to Orono, and they we kind of get their honeymoon period where they're the two of them are on a little barge with axel and stella and they're am i getting that name wrong i just gella stella, stella. sorry gella Stella. i don't know why i started thinking stella i would think i got like i started thinking of stellan and now that overwrote gella's name Okay. There is a character's um what's her name? Uh I'm so stupid right now. Enya? No no no. In the in the prologue. Abda. No. Serena. Right. Okay, yeah. Serena and Abda are the partners. That's why you are confusing that too. Yeah. Serena and Abda are part of that uh secret secretive group called Path of the Hand. Open hand? Yeah. Okay, that sounds master better, but yeah. That's what the one I thought sounded like just a domestic violence strategy. Well, I I have two jokes, like uh sex jokes and uh racist jokes. I don't have white okay. bathing jokes. Oh. Keep that one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, uh <laughs> it's yeah. a really complicated book. Like I when before we started, I was standing in the rain and was waiting, and I was thinking, like, if you ask me to summarize it, will I be able to summarize in in five minutes? And I can't. There's so much going on, and yeah. like most of it uh, actually is really difficult to skip. Yeah, like that's one of the difficult parts with the podcast as well is like trying to give yeah. enough context for what's going on that people don't like absolutely need to read the books. We also don't want to just like sit here and say this happened and this happened and this happened and like have the podcast be a bad substitute for an audio book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have the the tour of Verono. Uh, on this tour, uh, Gela and Axel are their bodyguards, and we start shifting the story a bit more to their perspective instead of focusing quite as much on Fantu and Siri. Uh, we really don't get that much from Siri's perspective until a little bit at the end. Uh, but the... Well, I agree with your vibes that she, at, at the beginning especially, it feels like she wants this uh, as a way to ensure that the peace will happen. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like a, a marriage of... Uh... Convenience? Political yeah. dynasties? Yes, yes, yes. At the end, obviously, it's a bit different. We'll get there. Yeah. And at this point, we start getting uh, a bit more of a self-contained story of uh, the two heirs and what's her name, the Jedi? Uh, Gela. Gela? Yeah. Gela and Axel. Yes. 
So they end up. Uh, can you remind me? They were researching something. They were researching something. They were looking for something uh, in the desert. Well, they were kind of just doing their uh, their their tour and trying to draw out whoever was going to uh, whoever was going to try to kill them, which turns out to be the the pharaohs. Everyone. Well, everyone, but also particularly the uh, the viceroy's family. So they there are a few towns that are still very opposed to this happening at all. They think that Siri uh, has been like either replaced. She's an imposter. Or she's been somehow like mind controlled by the Irami to like surrender the planet to them. So no and one's really looking for. Planets are really racist against each other. That's yeah, should they... be like yeah. it's they are super racist. They have even like uh, slurs for the for each other, which make no sense. But yeah, yeah. Well, there's also a lot of like off world aliens that end up living there too. There's like a Mon Calamari person on uh arona which i thought was a weird choice but then they explained it and it was like okay no i understand why you made this choice now and it was deliberate rather than like species roulette uh like there there were so many points in this book where it's like oh are you going somewhere that i don't like with this and then it turned out no you actually have done this for a reason that makes a lot of sense yeah. but that was like almost any time i thought i was starting to have a gripe with it that happened so i i can't overstate how how much that made me happy, especially after yeah, some recent I reading. I read most of it like over the last two days, and I was so happy. The beginning was a bit slow, I think, but uh, the middle and the end are really di dynamic and really like so yeah. much happens. Yeah, so there, there's so much focus on like the importance of the symbolism to them, but also not hanging on to it too much, like pulling the positives of their past and their symbolism without like being beholden to the past when it's destructive, which I think is a, a good message for them to have. So like the, the kind of looking to the past for how they got united before without falling prey, the same kind of thing that's keeping the ferals or whatever fighting, like the Viceroy wanting to continue the war of like, we've sacrificed our people for this. They're evil, they're the enemy. They always need to be the enemy. And instead, just kind of looking for cooperation. Uh, but they speaking of speaking of living in the past, Axel Greylark. Yes, he's so a very he upset, hate, broken man. He hates the Jedi because uh, when he was uh, on a diplomatic mission with his father, uh, his father got killed, and the Jedi didn't try to to help, basically. Or failed to help. Yeah, Let's so see. we kind of get... It's a lot like the uh, the stuff with the Martez sisters in the Clone Wars yeah. and Luminara, where it's like the Jedi are getting disconnected from the rest of the galaxy and like something horrible happens to someone. It's like, hey, bro, that's just the Force. See you later. And coming across like they don't care, as they in on some level don't. And they're just giving these... To what everyone else would sound like platitudes, no matter how much they believe them, or even if they're like true in how the force works, for people who don't have access to the force, it's it's meaningless. It's the the Jedi thoughts and prayers basically being told yeah. to people who are non-religious. Where and so Axel kind of sees Jedi as being that detached, and he kind of gets that detached himself, 
and he blames the Jedi for everything that happened to his father. Uh, but then Did he... you catch the Easter egg there? Sorry? Did you catch the Easter egg? Uh, I don't know. So uh, Axel's father dies on a planet called uh, uh, Melida Dawn. I did not. Okay, so uh, there's there are old books. Uh, they were published before Episode One. Uh, I think they're called Jedi Apprentice, and uh, they're about uh, Obi Wan's training with Qui Gon. Right, and his Obi Wan's long lasting relationship with Siri Taji. Yeah, but uh, basically, one of the missions, like the books, are super short. And one of the missions uh, is on the uh, on the same planet on Milita Dawn, where uh, the war is never stops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's like a uh, interesting uh, Easter egg to the legends. Yeah, a similar situation. Yeah, I forgot that one. I read so the my teacher in grade uh, six, seven, eight. I had the same class all three years in a row because it was a mixed six, seven, eight class. And uh, that was when I started getting into Star Wars. It was around the time that episode three was out. So it was like, I think I, I think grade seven or eight was episode three coming out for me. And I, my teacher, I'm 31. Okay. I'm so much older. Yes. But my teacher had like a library in his classroom that had, uh, the Jedi Apprentice and Jedi Quest books, I think. So I read most of them and a lot of the Animorphs books through that. Uh, and okay. I think that would have been in, close to being my first Star Wars books. Uh, and I accidentally stole one of them where I'd like taken it home to read them, which we were allowed to do. You sign them out. And like five years later, I was like cleaning some old books out of my closet and found that book and it's like oh sir do you have any shame i was actually very ashamed of it i'm ashamed of it talking about it right now I i've thought you're... about talking to that teacher and seeing if he ever wants to come on the podcast because i i think he still watches star wars stuff i haven't talked to him in a long time but that might be fun actually uh learnings like the uh how the older generation sees the star wars as it's right now like you can ask so many questions about like current books, current movies, current TV shows, etc. Yeah. Et that might be fun. So, Good uh, podcast. Shout out to Mr. B if you wanna if you wanna come on the podcast. I will return your book. Just come to the podcast. Oh, I, it's gone. Book's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the we we end that part with uh some kidnapping going on uh, where the the Viceroy's son has taken a town hostage, essentially. They've dressed up as Arami soldiers and they kind of lure in Siri and Fantu uh, in exchange for keeping the people safe. And then Axel and Gela have to go in and rescue them. So the, the parties split up for... About a page, because when they jump out of the ship after rescuing Fantu and Siri, there's only three parachutes. Everyone but Gela gets one. Gela has to fall and not die, which is something that has been set up throughout the book as something that she's actually okay with. She likes falling, doesn't like flying. And it's something that we see later with, like, uh, Bel Zetafar. The training for him is, like, fall but don't die about it. 
when he's with uh, Loden. So this is yeah. a, a common theme in the High Republic that pays off a few times. But the uh, while the party is split up, Axel gets into some trouble that we don't hear about for a while, where he murders someone, which is not very epic. Murdering or uh, murdering that person? Murdering that person, but murdering in general is also not very epic. Because he gets like hailed as a hero by the guy's family. He's carrying this body of someone that uh, the family thought had like died running off to call for help. Instead, he'd walked up on Axel calling the mother, not his mother, even though I was like, wait, is his mother the mother of the children of the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, actually, this is a very interesting thing. Again, uh, I was worried that um, they will go for that, and they didn't. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking that they will like um, use the idea that his mother is a chancellor, and he's talking to the mother, and they will somehow uh, create a confusion for the characters that, okay, he's, he was talking to his mother, so it's okay. No, like, but, I what I thought was, like, are they trying to set up that, like... Is this a Sidious Palpatine situation for another Chancellor? Which would have been a little bit overdone, but yeah. I thought it was like it was a possibility until you like you'd have to kind of think about how he was addressing her to be a hundred percent sure that's not what's going on because the because Greylark had been fairly cagey, the yeah. mother had been, and turns out that's not what's going on. But thankfully, it was it was a. A little bit of a, a misdirect that I, I think was good to do. Yeah, like we don't get much from the uh, Chancellor Grey like until the end of the book. We basically like, uh, oh, she's uh, sending her son away, etc., etc. So it's, she's a bit like um, I wouldn't say like a she's bad or something like that, but you know, she seems cold. She seems like distant, etc., etc. Yeah, and. It ends up being kind of understandable why. Uh, yeah. Because her son's a complete dick that joined a cult. Her husband's dead. And not many great things going on in her life. But we do get some nice tender moments between her and Malo. So they're not as antagonistic towards each other as was initially set up. They do understand the mission they're trying to do together, which we don't really know exactly what the mission is. I don't know if there's a clear mission or if it's just a mission vibes they have going on for the Republic. But, did, did you feel like uh, using the word High Republic for this period is a bit weird? Like, it seems at this point, the Republic controls only, like, uh, core and uh, around core. Uh, I don't think it's that weird. Like, it's, it's like, early High Republic, which is, like, the, the Republic okay. at its height of not, like, power, but when it's, like, the, the beacon of hope for galactic humanity. Culminating okay. in Starlight Beacon and then culminating in Starlight Beacon not being Starlight Beacon anymore. But sad. Very sad. So one of these planets is gonna get uh gonna get killed. So I mean their their palace could end up being the, the base of Starlight Beacon. Is there like a beam from the sort of it? Like it, they have a moon between the two planets and once they're married, they're like, Oh, where are we gonna end up living? I think it's pretty clear they're gonna end up living on the moon. <laughs> Like that that seems like the obvious that's, choice. That's more more romantic, basically, yeah. Yeah. So the the final part of the book is basically the wedding happening and them 
uh, everyone in the story trying to stop anything from interfering with the wedding. Because there's Axel who ends up trying to blow up the uh, the shield surrounding the Irem capital, which happens and is not very epic for anyone there. Uh, there's a weapons factory with like chemical weapons that uh, that Fantu's mom is keeping from him, and then Siri and Fantu even get on board with like keeping some weapons. I kind of missed that. Uh, what was the uh, significance of the poison that was? created in that facility so the it was meant to be used like the the way the arami wanted to use it was as an injectable poison and that's what uh the queen wanted was they developed this injectable poison why why can't this be developed anywhere else what is the significance well it's the it's the scorpion venom from the the scorpions from irem so they want to have that because they can't build ships, so they want to engage in like poisoning some of the, the higher-ranking people or even some other parts of the military. And the queen is convinced by, or forced by the, or just makes a deal with the Path of the Open Hand to turn into an aerosolized thing. So that's what the ship on, the crash ship on Arono was for with the Iron Soldiers, is they were sent there to distribute this aerosolized version of the poison and kill a bunch of people. And the Path of the Open Hand wants it, presumably, for some anti-Jedi activities. Uh, the Queen had ordered it all destroyed, except for some samples. Fantu wanted it all destroyed. Axel ended up wanting it all destroyed. Because uh, he was kind of going against the Path of the Open Hand. But then he decides not to go against them. But there's a, a whole bunch of messy stuff happens. It turns into a manhunt for Axel. There's bounty hunters out for uh, a gambling debt from the start of the book, and they all attack the wedding because he leaves his tracker in the in the wedding. And we end up with nobody dying, which I was kind of surprised by. It was like, oh, there's so many opportunities here for Fantu and Siri to die. There's a bunch of opportunities for Chancellor Greylark to die. There's a, it seems like maybe Malo's going to die. Some, someone was going to die, and then no one died. But Axel oh, goes to prison. Only the chancellor, no, not chancellor. Sorry, uh, the um, what's his face? The main minister of uh, Irem. Of Irem or Arono? Arono, sorry. The viceroy. Yeah, I think he dies. No. Well, uh, he's not important. Yeah, he's but not. I, important. I don't even remember if he. <laughs> so that's how you decide who dies, who, who doesn't die. Not important, does uh, sh- should die, right? Okay. I see it. Well, Rev is still alive, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the the older Viceroy is dead. He gets killed by Axel. He's the one that gets stabby-stabbed by Axel. But the main significance of this book in terms of lore uh, is the fact that we meet the path of the open uh, hand. And uh, I assume that they will be the main uh, villains in this phase, at least. And uh, I think we both agree that they will turn into Nile, or maybe... Yeah, I mean, they're, will... they're building the gaze electric. Like, does Axel turn into... Like, is Axel's secret identity going to be Martian Rose Granddad or something? I think so, actually. So... Or maybe not. Like... <clears throat> They are entire different species, the Roe family, right? The Martian Roe is 
and yeah. the Greylarks? Because the Greylarks are humans. The Martian, uh, Martial Noise, I don't remember the name of the. Ever in there. Ever in? Ever in? But isn't that just a, like a human. No, I think with... it's. Okay, no, no they're, they're vampire they... people. Okay. Yeah, they're basically. I thought vampires. they were just another name for like your Kuwati or something. No, 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 they're uh, not human. Like uh, the I, the the whole uh, Martian wears a mask. We don't know his race, etc. I yeah. don't think we learn about it until the end of the last adult book in the series in the first phase. So his race, I think, maybe they didn't decide initially. Maybe something else, but it was like whole thing him wearing a mask. Right. So uh, and they're building Gaze Electric, and right now they were interested in. Using the conflict in Ireland and Erono uh, to bring this repute to the reputation of the Jedi. I don't think at this point we get uh, any <clears throat> explanation on why they hate the Jedi. Yeah, we don't know their the reasons behind their motivations. We just know that they. Uh, they think the Jedi are limiting to the Force in some way, or limiting access to the Force in some way. And the book ends with um, discussion on where the planet should sign the peace treaty. Yeah. And everybody decides that it will happen on uh, Jeddah. And Jeddah is important because uh, from the start of the book, Gela kind of talks about going there in order to learn more about the Force. And it basically has this the tie into Rogue One because we learn that uh, there are many different Force cults on Jeddah which learn the Force and worship it, etc., etc. <clears throat> so, yeah, well, uh, not being a strictly Republic planet or Jedi planet yeah. or anyone else. So they will go to Jeddah to sign the peace, and I think, I guess, I'm guessing that that's where the uh, path of the open hand will uh, play its cards, I guess. Yeah. So that will come to uh, come to the fore in Cataclysm as well. So next yeah. week, that's what we're going to be doing. Tonight, we're going to be doing some Empire at War, I believe, with me, Elkin, and Charlie, unless Elkin leaves. I don't know. Are you playing Empire at War? I'm only playing worms. We'll talk. But uh, before we go, thank you so much for joining me. Do you have a a rating you would like to give the book? Oh my god! Uh, can you open the page again? I can. But I I want uh, some kind of baseline again. Uh, I have, have to... opinions. I have only baselines. I open things here. Show me. Put it on screen. There's a well. You can click in the description. There's a link in the description to the the book ratings that we've done before. The tap calf tier list. I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it. I'm just trying to see what I gave the last high public books that we read. What was it? Midnight Express. Midnight something. No. Midnight Horizon. I'm pretty sure we did. Uh, it called when was it high republic first phase 
Okay. That would have been a while ago. Yep. Oh my god. They have I think so it much might have been stuff. Into the Dark. I don't think it was... I don't think I've read Midnight I Horizon. Into the dark, yeah. Was it Into the Dark or was it... Uh, out of the Shadows? I think it was Out of the Shadows, actually. Uh, I don't know if we... Yeah, I don't think we've done out of the shadows. I do, I don't I, I can't find either one. So well, Into the Dark is definitely on here. And I think we only did the one young adult book for phase one. And that was three for me and Justin. Me and Justin gave Into the Dark a C. Okay. Uh so I I can easily give this one B. I can maybe do B plus, but yeah, B. B plus. Yeah, and I think last uh when you were on for Scourge, I think we each gave Scourge a C. Yes, sir. Yeah, so you're gonna give Convergence a B? Yeah. Right. I, I am actually know. gonna give Convergence an A. Nice. Because as you said, like it starts out slow, but surprisingly it ends well. Yeah. It's it sets up a bunch of stuff uh for the sequel. I think I read uh, at the end of the wiki something about the fact that two authors kind of tried to coordinate this one and the next one. But that makes sense because this is one phase, right? Yeah. Uh, so B is a bit low maybe, but B plus is my rating, A, a is your rating, and yes. I really like it. I hope that the next one is as good as this one because I really don't have much focus right now. And I need all the yeah. goodness that I can get. Yeah, like I, with the last two, like I kind of said in those episodes, it, so I might be colored a little bit by recency and what I've done recently. But mm -hmm. I was kind of struggling to get through those two. And with this one, I was like, there wasn't really ever a point where I just wanted to put it down and go do something else. And any time that I thought that I was starting to question where it was going, I I ended up... It ended up resolving any of my concerns and being much better than I expected. So, so this one didn't make you uh, think about your life choices. No, this this That's one good. solidly good. I don't think it's like quite as good as some of my all-time favorites, but really enjoyed it. Really looking forward to Cataclysm, uh, even though it is forty pages longer. Like I'm, I'm gonna have a very busy week because it's my last week to get a bunch of shit done before i'm gone for 10 days but even with that i'm still really looking forward to the 380 pages of reading or whatever that we're gonna have to do we can delay it if you don't have time we no, can delay I, it like... I, i'm good i can do it okay good so next week we'll be here with cataclysm yep same bat Not... time same bat channel exactly thank you for listening everyone thank you for watching and hope to see you next time. We'll be on twitch.tv slash loses as well as youtube.com slash ECKSTOO for some gaming tonight.